1: Runaway slaves. I'm brave. This is the Church Politics Podcast, hosted by Michael Weir and Justin Gibney. brought to you by the Am Campaign. Justin, it's a, another week, some interesting uh, news uh, that we need to cover in this episode. But first, how are you?
0: I'm doing well, man. Uh, have you ever had one of those moments where just a random song that you haven't heard in years just pops up in your head?
1: Oh, oh, of course. every Every day.
0: Yeah, I don't know where it came from, but that 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 I don't know if you remember that Al Green, everything's going to be all right, popped up yeah. in my head. So I, I've been playing that getting ready as I prepare for uh, this episode, man. But now nah, everything is good. Uh, a lot to talk about, ready to get into it. But no complaints over this way.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I think the most important thing we need to discuss, you know, between the two of us. And I hope you weren't going to let it go unmentioned Uh But I believe you saw my favorite group in the history of groups this past
0: weekend. Did you see Drew
1: Hill in concert?
0: I did. Okay, yeah, we we can take it there. I did see Drew Hill. So we really we really enjoy me and my wife really enjoy outdoor concerts. So we went to go see Drew Hill perform this weekend uh, and really enjoyed ourselves, man. Everybody was out there having a good time. No issues. It was it was a lot of fun. So we do appreciate Drew Hill. And there's so, an ongoing debate. So we always ask our friends. Is
1: something going on or
0: <laughs> there, was, there was a little two step, you know, we, we put our two step out there a little bit, but, uh, we always have this ongoing debate about, you know, who, who, who are the top, the top R and B groups? So you got guys right. like Jodice, you got 112, you got Drew Hill, you got boys, the men. And so we always ask our friends for that ranking and it's good for a, a, a pretty good argument. But, uh, but yeah, we enjoyed Drew Hill, man. Uh, Cisco still got it, man. He still yeah, got it.
1: Of course he does. What color was his hair?
0: It looked, I was a little <laughs> I was back a little ways, but it looked like he was still with that platinum game, man. It looked like he was yeah, still rock, yeah, rocking right. with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to bring back the the golden age. There you uh, go. <laughs> uh yeah. you know, he uh I mean, just to I mean, my AOL instant messenger screen name was Drew World Order Zero One. I mean, just okay. to, just to like You know, (laughs) like you know, this wasn't like a flipping thing. Um, This was this was real. Uh, My one of my favorite stories is um, uh, in middle school. I went to school. It it actually now I don't want to tell the story because middle school is too old. Uh, When I was like six, let's say I was six, I went to school dressed up as Cisco only. Only, only everyone just thought I was a grandpa because I, uh, I spray painted my hair gray. You know, I had, had like those kind of like plaid shirts on that Cisco used to wear, that so it didn't funny. work out too well. I, I still felt, <laughs> I felt fresh going to school, man. So uh, hey, you had to try it. You had to try it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you got to see uh, Drew Hill. These are certainly the times and uh, we're going to get into them. You like that I like it. I like it. Uh, hey, so um, over the weekend, Jeffrey Epstein uh, died at 66 years old uh, of suicide while in prison. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was a, a influ- influential financier. Uh, in 2007, uh, seven he got there was an indictment for sex crimes. Uh, it, news has come out that. Um, as we've learned more and more it's uh, he's been accused of sexually abusing dozens of underage girls uh, in a predatory uh, fashion uh, the, the stories are just uh, haunting and and, and tragic uh, Epstein is someone who because of his money and because of his network was tied to politicians on both sides of the aisle both, Trump cabinet officials, including the labor secretary, Bill Clinton, Donald Trump himself. Uh, And and so uh, this is, he was uh, put in prison uh, and it didn't, uh, uh, it didn't take long until uh, he had a previous suicide attempt uh, that failed. And, and uh, over the weekend, he, he hung himself uh there there's been a lot of questions y- you and i thought about prior to this episode you know wanting to be careful about getting too, in, too into speculation because sometimes you know those kinds of like conspiracy theories aren't aren't aren't, aren't good they aren't fruitful yeah. uh they they're not based in uh not based in real real knowledge they're based in uh, the last Showtime series uh, fo- folks watched. Um, but there's been some interesting writing about uh, about everything that had to happen in order for him to be able to do this. He should have been on suicide watch if he was not. Uh, there should have been eyes on him 24-7. Uh, and it's notable, you know, we were concerned about uh, how much do we talk about conspiracy theories. Well, one person who wasn't concerned uh, was Donald Trump. He's retweeting conspiracy theories uh, from the Oval Office or, you know, from the office of the presidency. And, and so, uh, Justin, one of the main takeaways from this is, you know, justice is kind of evaded here. I, I, I think his victims deserve to see him uh, be sentenced and, and face, uh, face uh, the due sort of cost of his crimes. I think that there was a lot we could have learned from Epstein regarding who was in his networks and who's, who else is, you know, being predatory toward young, young girls. And, and that's, that's, that's a main source of sadness for me that this guy lived, uh, you know, the high life got away, you know, uh, in, in, on this plane with so much. uh, And, and his victims won't ever see him in court, sentenced for for his crimes. He was able to he he evaded that sort of um, finite determination of of what kind of man he is. But but what what are you thinking about?
0: Yeah, I think we got to remember this is a tough one. Um, but but vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So I'm not exactly sure that he he gets off easy. Um, right. I would I do hope that. Um, That justice is done here as well, though, because I do think uh, the victims uh, deserve that. I think that um, folks who were involved with him deserve to be exposed. So I I do hope justice is done. But, you know, I understand the conflict that Christians have in having in having this conversation and how you talk about it. He did some terrible things and it does seem in a way that he got off easy. But don't don't be so sure Uh, at the end at the end of the day, you know, that's all those things are handled by God. And I know that we shouldn't definitely shouldn't take joy in any part of this situation. Right. So it, it's, it's tough. And you mentioned the conspiracy theories because they are certainly abounding. And my take on conspiracy theories is really this, that it's unwise to uh, believe every conspiracy theory that comes along. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But I also think it's unwise to believe that conspiracies don't happen. Right. So if you don't believe any conspiracy theory ever, then, you know, you may be missing out on something, too. I think it is fair to say that powerful people with bad intentions don't always announce their nefarious plans. Uh, but but those plans sometimes still are carried out uh, unbeknownst to to the people. That said, uh, the president of the United States publicly espousing a baseless conspiracy theory against his political opponents is a bad look. Um but but as you said before, we know that this isn't the first time that he's been involved in conspiracy theories. Just to add a couple, you know, at one point he said uh, Rubio, he engaged in a thing that was saying Rubio wasn't eligible to be president, that Muslims celebrated on 9-11. All of these things basis. Ted Cruz's father uh, was part of the JFK assassination. and He just goes on and on with this. I think right. this one is, is somewhat strategic, though, as those were were probably two. I don't know that he believes that the Clintons had anything to do with this, but I think what he does want to do is remind people that Bill Clinton was implicated when it came to Epstein. I think he wants to put that reminder out, if not only to protect himself, right, to say, hey, I'm not the only one that knew this guy that's in pitches with this guy. So I think that's what he's trying to do. And it's unfortunate. Uh, I think I'm with you. We, we shouldn't get too deep into the conspiracy theories. Uh, this is a fairly fishy situation. I mean, you, you pointed out this guy had just, you know, he had just attempted suicide on July 23rd. The fact that he would be taken off suicide watch, uh, so quickly doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm not, you know, in a position to say exactly what the standard for that is. Uh, at best, it sounds like incompetence. Uh, and there was a really good article in the, in the New York Times about this. Uh, as you mentioned, th- these guards, even when he was taken off of um, uh suicide watch, these guards were supposed to be checking on him every 30 minutes. But they didn't do that. Yes. Uh, he was supposed to have a cellmate because he was, you know, because he had just gotten off or whatever. They had moved this cellmate elsewhere. So you get all this stuff that, you know, <laughs> I- I'm not going to side with conspiracy theories, but it's like, OK, this one doesn't come out of nowhere. It does seem a little a little weird. But for now, I think we have to depend on the FBI investigation. Right. Uh, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This this guy was trafficking underage girls uh, and he was hanging out with very powerful men, some of them in public office. And and as I said before, that needs to come out. People need to hear what was going on. So hopefully there's a way that that justice can still be served on Earth in that regard. Uh, another thing that was problematic, you know, the NYPD was not forcing him to check in regularly as a sex offender, which would, would have been in compliance with a judge's uh, court order you know these are all things that make you say hmm was his money playing a role in the way that he was being treated uh but maybe maybe the best uh lesson to take from this or the best thing to think about when we when we're addressing this is that human trafficking is real um and just like every other industry it will continue as long as the the demand exists and, and sadly the fact uh that it's so prevalent means that the demand is pretty high which means that people at our churches and people that we know are likely participating in this. Uh, And so we need to make sure that we're talking about it. We need to make sure that people know just how dangerous and uh, violent and sad this is. Yeah. Um. And we just have to work on changing the culture. And I think that goes for a lot of people. I myself am not completely innocent before I renewed my relationship with Christ. I went to strip clubs as if it was just innocent fun. And a lot of brothers we know, you know, still struggle with porn and all those things. And this isn't about condemning you. The And Campaign isn't an organization that goes out to condemn people. But you 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 do need to realize that all this stuff does tie into the sex trade. So the more right. that you participate in it, you're adding to something that I'm sure you wouldn't want people to know that you're adding to. So just keep that in mind. Yeah,
1: absolutely. All right. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to discuss uh, Hong Kong and the, pro- uh, the protests that are taking place there and the government's response. We'll also touch on interesting story that happened uh, over the over the last week regarding a uh, uh, presidential candidate's church visit. Uh, all this and more after the break. This is the Church Politics Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, back in May, massive protests began in Hong Kong, uh, basically pushing for democratic reforms and for Hong Kong to uh, be held accountable to previous uh, promises of democratic govern- governance. Uh, those protests have uh, continued and even uh, escalated. Uh and uh now you have the government in hong kong referring to these uh protests that they first referred to as riots they're now color uh they're now taking on according to the government color revolution characteristics uh this is a serious uh sort of escalation uh, obviously color uh, uh, the color revolution kind of protests and sort of government challenges have affected governments uh, like the Ukraine, Georgia. And uh, this sort of means that the Hong Kong government is, is taking these protests to be a threat to their, uh, their sovereignty, their, 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 ability to govern in a way that many foreign policy analysts and human rights analysts are worried that, uh, greater human rights sort of, uh, abuses are going to come justified by this, uh, this characterization by the Hong Kong government. Uh, there's a very interesting article in the Washington post, uh, uh, an analysis piece. The headline is in Hong Kong. What happens now that Beijing has called the protests a color revolution? Uh, and, and I would, I would urge you to, to read this. Uh, the authors helpfully go into a bit of the history here, uh, and why the protesters have come to expect a more democratic government, because that's what they've been promised. Uh, Justin, we've spent so much time over the last, really, the the few years of this podcast covering these sort of demands for democracy around the world. A lot of the times, it's it's in the West. It's interesting to see this kind of uprising uh, in in Hong Kong, and it it seems to capture. A, a, a spirit a, a sort of a, a movement that's transcending geography that's picking up on uh themes that are resonant globally uh, what do you think and what's your approach to what's happening in hong kong and do you think that uh that the government there has the capacity to to resolve something like this peacefully
0: Yeah, that's a that's a big question. I mean, anytime it comes to China, you have to watch the messaging that's coming out. I mean, it's hard to believe anything that that's coming out of there uh, just with the way that they deal with information, with the way that they deal with people who are questioning or criticizing them. In this case, this is no flash in the pan. I mean, these are some serious protests. You have young activists who are facing off with the police who have stormed government offices and they've uh, stopped public transportation. All right. So it's no small thing. Again, I, another article in the New York Times, uh, they did a really good job talking about this as well. because it gave, gave us some of the, the background. And I didn't even have all the background initially on the relationship between, you know, Hong Kong and China. And so just so you have it, uh, Hong Kong is an international finance hub on China's uh, southern coast. It was a, British colony until 1997 when it was given back to China under a policy known as a uh, one country, two systems. Now, this one country, two systems, uh, um, arrangement, the effect of the policy was that Hong Kong was technically part of China, but it didn't have to live under many of the restrictions that China imposed on its other citizens. So it had a level of, of autonomy as, as Michael mentioned. Um, So it had its own police force. It had its own system of government. And that was supposed to remain in place until 2047. Right. Now, many people in Hong Kong believe that China is prematurely eroding the mechanisms of Hong Kong's autonomy or their self-rule. This shouldn't be a huge surprise to anybody that China would try to intrude uh, on that uh, sovereignty. Uh, the one of the things that China has done that pretty much gives this away. So this isn't just a conspiracy theory. Uh, there's there's some uh, some uh, foundation to this. Uh, they abducted a Hong Kong bookseller and placed him in solitary confinement for five months. He couldn't speak to his family, couldn't speak to anybody, and what they were trying to do was force him to identify anonymous authors who had written books criticizing China. All right now. Yeah. Apparently, Hong Kong's local government, and this is very interesting, is full of pro-China lawmakers. Yeah. I, knew, I, w- I would guess China would have a hand in that uh, somehow. <laughs> right, right. Um, they inter- and these pro-China lawmakers introduced a bill that would allow people to be- that who are accused of crimes uh, to be sent to mainland China. Uh, Now, once these uh, protests erupted, erupted based on partially based on this bill, the bill was suspended. But it just shows you all that's going on. And you have a situation where they're saying, yeah, China's saying, yeah, you guys are sovereign. We're going to let this last until 2047. But now we're putting all our people in your local government. Right. We're, We're recruiting candidates to represent our outside interests. In in your locality, and that, and that's caused problems. So a lot of young people say, "We see what you're doing. We're not going to take it," and they're fighting back.
1: Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm concerned. Uh, I, I think the pretext has been laid for uh, for aggressive police and even military uh, crackdowns, and so uh, I think human rights observers are going to be paying very close attention. Uh, but, you know, China is such a powerhouse that, uh, and they have a seat on, uh, uh, you know, at at the UN, they have, uh, they they, they carry a lot of sway. And so, you know, part of the problem with sort of global dynamics right now is, uh, I'm not sure what accountability the global community can place on on China in this moment. Uh, And, and, uh, and China's, as you, as you laid out, China's, Actors and representatives uh, there in the in the local Hong Kong government, and so, like you said, th- these protests are not. I mean, since May, um, I mean, it, it's just it's just pretty pr- pretty in- incredible to see this kind of sustained uh, this kind of s- sustained protest, and and I, I think that speaks to the depth
0: of of the issues going on here. So. We're, Yeah, just one more thing. I was gonna say, you know, the the international community just needs to show how much they really care about human rights. Right. Uh, uh, The United Nations and others get criticized for not having any teeth. Well, if you have some, this is a moment to to, to show it, because surely there are interests that won't want to do anything to China because China, you know, is is a big player and China can can um, put some consequences out there. But human rights should be more important. And if the U.N. and others want to get something done, they need to get something done. Uh, Aside from the political considerations. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, when we get back, we're going to talk about that interesting, uh, uh, troubling in some ways, uh, church uh, dust up that that roiled a a bit of the Democratic primary uh, process. Uh, We'll we'll cover all that news for you after the break. This is the Church Politics Podcast.
0: are back with the church politics podcast. This will be our final conversation for the day. Some of you might have seen a headline that popped up. I think it was late Friday or maybe even Saturday, highlighting that Senator Kamala Harris and Senator Cory Booker visited a church where the pastor preached homosexuality as a sin. Now, not necessarily when they were there, but that's something that he does preach. The big question here is, why is this news? Uh, it's no secret that the far left is uncomfortable with Christians and churches that espouse conservative or moderate views on issues like abortion and sexual ethics. And I know this personally. Uh, I know this firsthand uh, in tw- in 2016, when I was running to be a delegate for the Democratic National Convention. My speech at the delegate election thoughtfully gave voice to those positions. Uh, what I was trying to do was basically Ask the party not to exclude more moderate or traditional people from the party. And anybody who's been listening to this podcast or follows the campaign knows that we talk about religious exclusion quite a bit. I was trying to speak up for Democrats who were pro-life and who maintained the view of sexuality held by traditional black church parishioners and other biblical and other biblical Christians, along with Muslims, uh, Orthodox Jews and so on. After I gave this speech, I was immediately accosted for my statement, uh, which was made in love and truth. And we have the video. If you'd like to watch it, we'd love to show you that uh, a group even tried to have me removed from the Georgia delegation after I won the election by huge margins, uh, trying to say that I was being homophobic. Again, we had videotaped it and it was very clear that that's not what was going on. No one was being uh, demeaned or anything of that nature. That's not how the and campaign or I myself operate. Um, and that's just one personal example of, of you know, the, the what happens when people speak out or speak differently on issues within the party right now. Uh, but let me give you a few other examples, if that's what people may need. Uh, I have a good friend named Dr. Jaha Howard. He is a dentist. He's a Howard University graduate. Very bright guy. He's a Christian. And he was running for Georgia State Senate. Uh, we also had another friend who's actually been on this podcast. who was Lee Jenkins, uh, who during that same cycle was running for mayor of Roswell, Georgia. And let me tell you, both of these men were smeared and heckled by the far left uh, because of their Christian convictions when it came to abortion and sexuality. And I'm not talking about anything small. I'm talking about mass mailers being sent out, uh, mischaracterizing them and, uh, and deriding them. Uh, I'm talking about progressive activists even found some of Pastor Lee's sermons on those subjects and attacked him with those sermons uh, would come to panels that he was on and shout him down so he couldn't even speak because of his positions. Uh, Dr. Howard's campaign team quit because they were afraid that they would not be able to find work if they continued working on his campaign, his mailing company. And anybody who knows politics knows how important it is to get your mailers out. His mail company refused to send his mailers out once all this got started. Uh, and we, we don't just see this on a local level. We see it on a uh, national level. Um, uh, gospel singer Donnie McClurkin was compelled to withdraw from the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, which was a commemorative event uh, because of his views on sexuality. So basically an event uh, for a movement that was created by black Christians uh, didn't want a black Christian to be a part of the event. That's that's pretty interesting. Um, and then lastly, you know, the Democratic the Democrat who was running for lieutenant governor a few years back in Georgia Posted a disclaimer on the front of her website, basically saying that she wasn't afraid to stand up against her own church when it came to issues like abortion and sexuality. I wonder why she thought it was ne- even necessary to take such a dishonorable pos- position against her own church. I give you those examples to demonstrate that the tension between traditional churches and the political left is real, it's strategic, and it is nothing new. Uh, This isn't happening by accident. There's a reason why almost every candidate running for federal office in the Democratic Party takes one particular position on that issue. And nobody else takes an opposite position, even though a lot of their constituents think differently. That does not happen by accident. It happens by design. There is a concerted and not so well hidden progressive effort to marginalize and silence groups with traditional views. Uh, and I've seen it myself. I have a lot of friends that have seen it and it's happening and we need to uh, we need to address it. Uh, so so when we see headlines like this popping up, highlighting that Senators Kamala Harris and Senator Cory Booker visited a church where the pastor believed homosexuality was a sin. A lot of church folks got upset when they saw this, because the first question you have to ask is, why is this even being made an issue? Why is this a headline? What message is being sent? Because Democratic candidates have always visited traditional Black churches. If they don't connect with that constituency, then they're very simply going to lose. So why is it being highlighted now? And here's the game that's being played. By making it a headline, you automatically imply that the pastor's position is wrong and unacceptable in polite society. But you do something else. You also put the candidates on notice that they better proceed with caution because these kinds of churches are out of line. There's no other reason to highlight it. So the purpose of it, the intent is for these churches to be marginalized, for them to lose influence and for them not to be a part of the process. But that is a that takes a, a process to get to that point. If you want to silence them, it's a process to get into it. So if you read some of these articles, the advocacy groups interviewed in the story who who likely created the story because we know how these things work they were smart enough to admit that there was a practical benefit to visiting those churches and that um booker and and harris had been you know very very good to the lgbtq community well why is it that they could do that and not really come at those churches uh so harshly after the headlines were out well they could do that because the dog whistle had already been blown all right they could equivocate in the actual article because the message had already served its purpose. The pastor was already characterized poorly and the candidates again were put on notice. Right. If there wasn't a message being sent, then then both candidates wouldn't have felt it necessary for them to distance themselves from that pastor. But they distanced themselves for a reason. And that shows you that the that the purpose of what why that was being put out there had been served. Now, we always have people when it comes to the end campaign who just want to focus on Trump. They just want us to criticize Trump. They just want us to criticize uh, conservatives. And when we criticize the left or when we address something that happens on the left, they get upset. But that's what the end campaign is here to do. We've said over and over that we will critique both sides fairly, not saying that they are equivalent, but we will always critique both sides regardless of what is going on. We're not going to not critique the left because we're afraid that Trump might get reelected. We're here to tell the truth. Um, We're here to to tell it as fairly as we can. Um, and, And this is, you know, this is similar. So some people came out and said, well, this is so divisive. Why would you bring this up? You're being really divisive. And it's interesting because that's the same thing that people say when folks bring up racism. Somebody said something about racism and now we're being divisive. But the question is: Is the person response responding to the racism or responding to the intolerance tolerance of other beliefs? Is that the person being divisive, or is it the person that put that put it out there in the first place? Definitely something to think about. But this tension between the far left and uh, the tra- traditional church is not something that's going to go away. But it is something that deserves to be addressed because it is a threat to the church. And we've talked about religious exclusion on and on. So I'm gonna end my rant right there and and pass it to you, Michael. What what are your thoughts on this issue
1: yeah so so i i appreciate that so much of what you said it's uh <laughs> but you know there's a part of, like i'm not mad at the lgbt groups like this is their job what what this episode really uh pulls out from me is the fact that and we've talked about this on the show both cinder harris and cinder booker in uh uh, on their, uh, committee positions in the Senate have implicated that folks that hold, uh, these views shouldn't be allowed, uh, to, to serve in public office. They shouldn't be allowed to the bench uh, to serve as a judge. They shouldn't be allowed to serve in the Trump administration. I mean, they've been advancing this sort of line that, uh, that if you hold traditional views on sexuality, or if you if you believe uh Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, uh sort of all the all these things, you, you're not allowed to serve the public. And, and so what's telling for me about this whole thing is the way that they just decide when people who hold these views can be in public life and not. And it seems to be determined on whether Whether folks with traditional views have anything to offer them, or whether they're supporting them or giving them a platform, so Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's hey, you know, let's agree to disagree. You know, the statements in that story were, you know, we disagree with the pastor on uh, on some issues, but you know, his community is important, and we're we're not going to avoid churches over over these views, and that's just disingenuous. If if you really believe if you really believe that holding these views makes you unfit for a public life, then you should not be visiting churches that hold this view asking for votes. It's deception otherwise. I wonder if they raised their views on LGBT issues when they were visiting this church. I guarantee you they did not. And so that's what we have here. They're willing to really grandstand when Trump or when any Republican, uh, you know, says anything about these issues, they're willing to say that religious freedom is just a manipulative, uh, not really imaginary thing that shouldn't apply to, uh, to LGBT issues, that people who talk about religious freedom are only trying to, uh, you know, sneak in their prejudice through the back door. And then they're willing to to go to churches, or you know, in the case of some of, some of the Democratic candidates, belong to denominations that hold this view, and and that's my problem. Some of these Democratic candidates hold positions on uh, what should be allowed in public and and what's okay for an office holder to hold that would disqualify members of their own churches from serving in public office, and and, and that's the fundamental issue here. Now, how how do we respond? What uh, one, one way is don't let these candidates come to your church without asking them what their views on religious freedom are or what their views on pluralism might be. Uh, Don't let them come to your church and talk about all the issues that they know uh, you agree on and then go to the other group down the block and talk about, in effect, how their policies are going to affect your religious freedom, going to affect uh, uh the, the the culture and the way that the way that you're viewed in the world, and so uh, it, th- this was a very telling episode for me, Justin, of the fact that you know there's there's a lot of selective reasoning going on. <laughs> you know, that believe me, the second w- whenever Trump visits a uh, an evangelical church that has you know a pastor that said something on these issues, guarantee you, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris are going to be the first in line to say, how could we have a president who would legitimize such a such a person? Uh, and yet when they can get some votes, they're more than happy to, to you know, let bygones be bygones.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you hit it on the head. A good question for these candidates, it could be to see if they should be allowed in your church, is do you think that somebody that upholds the historic Christian sexual ethic or promotes it, do you think they should be able to be a judge? Right. If you say no, then why would I have you in my church? If, If the people who are in my church who may be qualified, very qualified to sit on the bench. You don't think they should be on the bench just because of the religious beliefs. But you can come up there. You can skin and grin and shake hands when you think you're going to get votes. Yeah, that's problematic. And, you know, a lot of the people from what I'm hearing from our team, a lot of the people were pointing to the fact that the advocacy groups were like, hey, you know, we don't necessarily have a problem with them going to these churches or whatever. Yeah, they can say that now because they already blew the dog whistle. (laughs) Like, like, Come on now. We we have some analytical skill to say you blew the dog whistle. And of course, when you get to the details of what's being said, you can kind of equivocate because that's what's happening. You're equivocating when you get into the details, but you've already put out there what you needed to put out there. And so let's not just act like we can only look at the four corners of the document because we don't do that when it comes to racist dog whistles. Do we say, hey, you can only look at exactly what they said? You can't look at any context. You can't look at any implications. Just look at what exactly they said when they're blowing a racist dog whistle. Of course, we don't do that because we know that context matters. We know that there are implications and they and those things matter. And so we're going to point those out when it come from, when they come from the right. We're going to point them out when they come from the left. We are happy to engage with people in a back and forth about that. But if you're waiting for the end campaign to let go what the, the things that progressives do right or the things that the, the things that progressives do wrong or the things that conservatives do wrong, you're going to be waiting for a long time because that is just not what this organization is about. Yeah. But we support our we're happy that we got a great response to, you know, when we first initially talked about that, we're. We're glad just to get it out there because we're trying to put that information to the body of Christ so that they know what's going on and just keep everybody informed.
1: Yeah, let me just add, Justin. You know, the primary is really the time to push this, and I'd argue these kinds of things are being reflected in the polls already. Like people give all kinds of explanations. Well, you know why why isn't uh, why isn't Harris and Booker why why aren't they doing better in South Carolina? Well Part of the reason, like people have watched them, people watch them use their committee positions to berate uh, uh, Trump appointees, not on their policy views, but on their religious beliefs. And so, like it, South Carolina isn't all about you know just saying the the quote unquote right things about intersectionality, and uh, uh, like like there are church growing folks there that <laughs> that have a choice, and and when the other option isn't. Donald Trump or Republican, they have the ability to choose between candidates. So I don't, I don't want to say that, uh, that's the, the only, or maybe even the primary reason that they're performing poorly, uh, in South Carolina so far, but I think it's a major blind spot in sort of democratic strategist perspective on these things, uh, to, 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 to miss the fact that, uh, that, that that faith matters across the country but in South Carolina in particular that's why we saw Cory Booker last week at Mother Emanuel giving a given a talk on uh on uh, gun violence and uh around the anniversary of the the massacre there that's why we've seen a whole array of candidates in South Carolina barnstorming churches already and we're only going to see that pick up but again they, like Voters have the opportunity and the right, especially in a democratic primary where uh where you know a lot of the candidates holds very similar positions on criminal justice reform, very similar positions on healthcare, education uh, p- press them a little bit on on these issues and see if there could be any distinctions made uh uh in this field of twenty whatever uh candidates uh now now's the time now's the time to do it
0: that is an excellent point. Even if you are a Christian Democrat, because we have folks both sides who listen to this show, you should realize that the primary is the ex- exactly the time to have this conversation. Right. So if you want to protect your political interests, that's great. But these, this is a time when you ask those questions. I'm glad you made that point, Michael, because that that is so true. And I think what you see here when people have criticism for this or they get really upset about this, is just an oversimplified view of politics. Right. right? It, it's this Trump bad Democrats good. And that's just it's just not that simple. So we can disagree with everything that Trump does. That doesn't mean that there aren't opponents and enemies within your own party. And if yeah. you're not able to identify your opponents and your enemies or people who just disagree with you right. within your party and, uh, and understand that they they have an agenda, too, then you you need to step it up a little bit. Because as, as I say over and over again, this is not checkers. This is chess. And so if you're going to play chess, you need to play chess in a primary and point out things that are wrong. This headline shouldn't even have been a headline. This article should have never even been because there was no reason to make this point about this pastor and to put this pastor through all this. Yeah. But they did it to send a message. So just make sure we're understanding that uh, politics is a little more complicated than sometimes we would, we would like to think because we just want to uh, say one side is good and one side is bad and don't get chumped because you don't want to realize how sophisticated and, and how um uh complicated this can really be
1: yeah don't get chumped that, that we might title the episode uh, that, that way uh well justin it's been great uh, talking with you uh this this week you know as I've said before and you know I think this is tied to to that story you know August is just infamously a time for you know uh Stories that kind of come out of left field, uh, because people are on vacation, journalists are looking for things to write, and uh, we'll, you know, I think the the coverage of Biden's you know quote unquote gaffes over the weekend are, are another good example of that. Well, August is going to be a very tumultuous uh, month uh, when it comes to our politics generally and to the presidential campaign. We've talked about August. You know, going back to our first year of doing this podcast, uh, when it was health healthcare debates in town halls and uh, and and major protests uh, against Republican uh, attempts at repeal, and so you know, it, it uh, this month is is going to have a lot of fodder, and we're going to cover it all for you here at the Church Politics Podcast. As always, would encourage you to leave a review for us on iTunes. We love hearing from you. It's so great uh, reading the comments and the words of support there, and also on Twitter. Justin and I are both on
0: Twitter, and you could follow the and campaign as well. Justin, any any closing thoughts? Yeah, I would just say, if you're one of those Christians who can stomach both sides being being critiqued, then I would ask you to spread this to your churches, spread it to the people that you know. We will continue to talk about social justice and moral order. Uh, we know that everybody won't like it, but if you spread the word, we can get more people who are thinking this same way because a lot of Christians are already thinking it. We're just trying to put language and an organization behind it. Uh, thanks for joining us. We will see y'all next week. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves, I'm brave, I'm unchained,
1: I'm Project Douglas with a fame.